Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Have you ever had a terrible boss? Have you ever worked for somebody who never could take the blame for anything? Always thought of themselves first? Abused their employees? Psychologically, if not Physically, I mean, most bosses don't beat up their employees, right? That would be obvious. You'd go to jail for that. But the idea of, you know, a little bit of extra overtime, a little bit of cutting wages here and there, a little bit of expectations that are unreasonable kind of pile up psychologically after a while. Today's episode is about a little place just west of Novak. Well, a big place. Repcon. It was a rocket testing site back before the Great War and the company that eventually would be purchased by Robco, which also makes it interesting for a few other reasons, specifically the technology that they were working on for their rockets would eventually work its way into weapons. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. Let's get into the history of Robco and who Steve Reynolds is and why he was such a terrible, can I say douchebag? I think I can say douchebag. So the full name of Repcon is Repcon Aerospace. Repcon actually stands for Rocket Engineering Production Company of Nevada. And it's spelled with two N's, so I'm not sure exactly why there's a second N, because that would be R-E-P-C-O-N, but there's a second N, so not sure about that. It was a test plant for testing rockets before the war. This is all before the war, and of course, later on, when we show up at this location about 200 years later, there's a lot of other things going on here. And there's a reason why the ghouls who inhabit the location are interested in the rockets. Back before the war, though, it was run by a man named Steve Reynolds. And Steve Reynolds had a uh, not a great reputation. He wasn't a good leader. There's a lot of... uh, conversations you can find in the um, in the computers that are left over between Steve and the employees. So uh, here, I'll just let's let's go over some of those. Uh, there's one here. I think this one's kind of funny. This was a simple one to start out with. Hi, Steve. This one's from Bill Levy, the janitor. We finished converting that old generator room into storage as you requested. If you need to get access to the safe, the password is Repcon with the three for an E and a zero for the O. Wonderful, wonderful way to lock up a room or a a safe with a with a very easy to guess password, right? So, so there's some just kind of common correspondences between people, things like that, which yeah, it doesn't reveal too much about any characters. But then we start getting 
things like this. Uh, some correspondences that detail the direction that Repcon was going in the world. This one is from Steve Reynolds, Launch Facility Project Manager. Greetings, fellow Repcon employees! Exclamation mark. I am happy to announce that we have finalized our deal with Robco. Starting tomorrow, we will be an official Robco facility. Most of you won't notice anything different. Aside from an increase in benefits. Thank you all for your time and welcome again to the Robco family, Steve. This uh, merger, or at least sale to, I guess it was a sale, to Robco would have benefited Steve the most, being that he was the launch facility project manager. And it seems like he was the one kind of pulling the strings in the background. In fact, he also didn't take much responsibility for things. There was a spill a toxic spill at the test site and Steve would not take any responsibility for this. So some of his employees got very upset, including a man named Martin Nymeyer, Nymeyer, N-A-I-M-E-Y-E-R. Wonderful pronunciations. I'm so good at talking. Um, <laughs> Martin writes Steve at one point after the spill and says, hello, Stevie, Stevie in quotes. I, I think that is implying a certain closeness and connection to him, like they've known each other a long time. Well, I can't say that I'm surprised. You were a devious worm when we started here all those years ago. I guess someone has to take the blame, and it may as well be your old friend. That waste spill never would have happened if you didn't push the team so hard, or if you paid for actual competent personnel. I'll be happy to take my retirement package. Good riddance to you in this forsaken place. Martin. Now, Martin, clearly in the situation, was thrown under the bus. He's the one who took the blame. There is a reason why this is important to Steve, and that is that the radiation spill will actually irradiate a section of the test site and make it less appealing to Robco. That was the whole reason why he was so upset about it. Turns out that Robco ends up buying the company anyway. But in order to save face, Steve throws Martin under the bus. Oh, and the uh, the reason why Martin was so upset? Well, this is the letter from Steve. We're going a little backwards here, but I feel like there's a little bit more uh, anticipation in doing it this way. So this is how Steve put it when he decided to uh, fire Martin. Hello, Martin. First, let me thank you for all your years of dedicated service with me and the rest of the Repcon family. Without all of your hard work, we would not have achieved a fraction of the success we enjoy today. That being said, the face of Repcon is getting younger. And according to my records, you have been fully vested in your pension for a little more than two years. Given the recent incident, I think that this is an excellent time for you to retire gracefully. Your friend, Steve. I feel like these are the kinds of correspondences that people do or if they were to say this to you with like uh, and this episode is going to be uh, explicit, which I rarely do. But I think that this expression makes sense. A shit eating grin. This is the kind of person who smiles at you while they're stabbing you in the back. Now, these aren't the only things that the correspondences between employees revealed to us from the Repcon facility. And unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot of other evidence or things to dig up about the history of Repcon. It's not referred to in any of the other Fallout games, only in New Vegas. 
But we do have this other incident with some stealth boys showing up unexpectedly. The message from Bill Martin, the custodian, reads, Dear Robco Supply, first off, let me say that everyone here is really excited about the merger. It's super to be part of a company as exciting as Robco. Have we got some kinks in the supply chain? Yesterday, a bunch of crates got delivered here containing two gross of devices called Stealth Boys. Is it okay if I ask what these things are? Do they make you invisible? That sounds wild. What would Robco think of next? Let me know if the shipment came here by mistake. No problem if it didn't. I bet you can have a lot of fun with these things. Thanks, Bill Martin. Another custodian, Sanjeev Rajan, also writes Robco with another response that says, We are sending back two, number two, crates of devices labeled Stealth Boys back to you. According to the manifest, each crate contained one gross, 144 of the devices. As a result of employee misbehavior, not mine in parentheses, one crate is opened and is missing five, number five, Stealth Boys. Sorry about that. Worth noting here is that this is from a different person than the first letter. The first one was from Bill, and Bill thought it would be wild to see what the Stealth Boys do. So, Putting things together here, I have a feeling that maybe Bill doesn't work there anymore and took five of the stealth boys and decided to get up to no good. Just thinking that might be the uh, story behind the scenes. So the stealth boys actually play into the events that happened 200 years later during the time that we're playing Fallout New Vegas. They are still in the facility and 144, two crates of 144 minus five is a lot of stealth boys. And... If you've played New Vegas, if you've listened to the Nightkin episodes of this podcast, then you know that these are extremely valuable to a group of super mutants who would rather be invisible all the time. And sure enough, a group of Nightkin has taken residence in the basement of Repcon. So when we get to the Repcon facility, we discover ghouls in the majority of the location and Nightkin in the basement. Remember when we talked about Davison, the deranged Nightkin who talked to the antlers? That's the guy. He's part of a group of Nightkin that came from the Jacobstown location and have been searching for stealth boys. And fortunately for them, I was going to say good, good luck for them. I don't know if it's good luck or fortunate or if it would be better for them not to have them. That's debatable. But fortunately for them, in their opinion, they found some. And Davison, as with many of the Nightkin who have been using these for a very long period of time, is starting to uh, lose some of his marbles. He lives down in the basement. And that's a problem for the ghouls living up on top. The ghouls in the majority of this facility are part of the Bright Brotherhood. And let me amend that. It's not just ghouls. It's ghouls and a human who thinks he's a ghoul. Chris Haversom believes that he himself is a ghoul and is helping the rest of these ghouls put together a rocket ship because they plan to leave the planet in order to travel to a new world. The Bright Brotherhood follows their leader, Jason Bright. He's one of the glowing ones, but he's a glowing one that never turned feral. He's built a religion 
about taking his tribe to a new world. And the Repcon facility is the location to do that. They have the remnants of rockets, plasma technology, all the things that they might need. They just need somebody who can put it all together, launch a rocket successfully, and get them off the planet. That's all. That's all it takes. They call this the Great Journey. And they're not the only ghouls who are at this location. They actually keep some feral ghouls on the premises in order to keep away outsiders. Because as we all know, the feral ghouls don't attack the non-feral ghouls. They see them as being ghouls, and so they're safe. But you need to be careful when you visit the site. Also, it's an interesting point that you can find other bright brotherhood individuals like their corpses in other locations across the Mojave. I don't believe there's anywhere else you actually meet anybody alive in order to have a conversation with them and find out why they are exploring other locations across the wasteland. But you do come across some of their corpses, which leads you to believe that they were out in the world for some reason looking for something trading. Maybe we don't really know. The quest line for helping out the Bright Brotherhood is called Come Fly With Me, which is, of course, is a very famous song by Frank Sinatra. And the ghouls would have left already on their ship following the message of the creator to the new land that they're trying to get to, the Great Journey, except for the fact that they're missing some components for the rockets, which happen to be in the basement with the Nightkin, or they, they call them demons, they refer to these nightkin as demons. So the quest basically focuses on you helping them get what they need from the nightkin, negotiating with Davison, who's crazy, talking with Antler, eventually getting all the components and potentially helping them lift off into space or explode on the launch pad. I mean, there's, you know, variations on how this can play out, of course. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, rocket technology, plasma technology, stealth boys. This seems like a location that would be very valuable for the main factions in the Mojave who are vying for power and technology, ways to one up each other. What about the Brotherhood? What about the Legion? What about the NCR? Well, they do factor into this story with different endings. Depending on how you end this quest line, and I'm not going to give you spoilers on this because I, I like taking the audience up to a certain point and then not spoiling the endings just in case you really want to play through it for the first time. But I will let you know that depending on what you decide to do with the Bright Brotherhood, how you handle the situation, it may play out better for the Brotherhood or the Legion. All right, we need to take a quick break and thank our patrons, but don't go anywhere because on the second half of this episode, I'm going to explain to you how the plasma technology from this location helped to create some of our favorite weapons in the game. We'll be right back. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. 
So this week we have some new patrons we need to welcome on board. Welcome to Evan and the longest, strangest name I think I've ever seen on Patreon. Sean Ponish Rem and make him watch Excel World. Don't know what the story is behind that, but cool. Uh, also welcome. Thank you for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. And we have to, of course, thank our sentry bot. Still just one sentry bot. Tier five patrons get shout outs every week. I'm the creeper. Thank you for your support. I really do appreciate it. And everyone else who helps support the show. Just a reminder that we're coming up on the end of the month. Next week is the last week of the month, the 26th. So that's a uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night, 9 p.m. will be our patron chat episode. If you are a tier four patron or a tier five patron and if you or I guess or if you haven't signed up yet, you've still got a few days to get in there. Join us for our patron episode this week and patrons. Let's uh, start chatting about what we want to discuss next week on the episode. I've got some ideas, but I'd love to hear yours as well. And we're going to pick the best one and we'll go with that. So thank you to everybody who supports the show. All 52 of you. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for the support. If you'd like to help me out, help continue this show going, help make sure that I can keep doing this as a full-time career, then please go to patreon.com slash falloutlorecast to check all the different tiers. You get ad-free episodes, you can get t-shirts. Oh, and by the way, we're coming up on the end of our first year run of t-shirts, which means two things. The second year is going to start sometime in the next few months. That also means, I guess it means three things. It also means if you've been signed up for the entire year as a tier four or higher, or as a tier three for the stickers, then you will be getting the third or the fourth t-shirt design uh, very soon, which is exciting. It also means that I'm working on a new set of shirts that will roll out, I believe in September. I believe that was the, the month that we started it initially. So you'll get a second year of shirts, but here's the thing. If you haven't signed up yet as a tier three for stickers or tier four or higher for shirts patron, then you still get into the first year of shirts. How this works is let's say you sign up today. You three months from now, you continue on for three months. You'll get the first shirt from the first year, but then it will pass into the second year and you'll start getting second year shirts also. So you can actually sign up now, catch up on all the designs, all the shirts, and get double shirts for the next year because you got in before the first year ended. So definitely consider that because it's like double for what you're paying, sort of. Um, it's crazy. They don't let me just kind of cycle into a second year. You have to start a whole new rewards program. And so it kind of doubles up that way. But that's that's awesome for you guys if you want to get in there and get some shirts and stickers. So go check that stuff out. There's some designs in the old posts. If you scroll down on the Patreon, you'll see the old posts. Or just shoot me a message in the Discord. I'll, I'll send some uh, some images to you. All right. We also have some reviews to... Man, you guys have been awesome. You've been so kind. We have one from Brad 90 in the US who writes, uh, The Meat and Potatoes. I couldn't be happier to have found this podcast. I absolutely crave depth in movies, TV shows, literature, and especially in video games. Robots, you nailed this podcast, my friend. It's awesome to listen to you and others speculate on the loose ends the, develop the developers leave in the game. I love to learn the actual facts that are littered throughout the game that shape the Fallout world as well. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Seabrad. Also, this one is from 
Derp Knight 579, I like the name, from the US, who writes, Amazing five stars. I found the show, and when I had an itch for Fallout lore and decided to look for a podcast for work and found this, love how I can go to any show and not miss anything. This show is a must watch for Fallout fans. So thank you so much for that. Also, Dev How leaves us a review. This one's from the United States and says everything a fallout fan wants i found this podcast while researching lore for a fallout ttrpg by modifius yes i've heard that one is very good uh campaign that you'll be running that i'll be running um, this is from your perspective tom slash robots does an incredible job of covering all the interesting aspects of the Fallout universe i found myself enjoying the content so much that i ended up going back to the beginning of the show and have now listened through the entire library Thank you for succinctly covering everything there is to know about the world, the history, the factions, etc. Not just from the Bethesda created games, but also the OG Obsidian fallouts of one and two. It had helped me to create some interesting story arc ideas for my campaign and can't wait to run it. He does such an awesome job covering the lore that I'm now listening to the Starfield Lorecast and the Game Pass podcast he does as well. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much. That is that is a huge compliment. I'm so glad you went back and listened to everything. A lot of people seem to do that as well, based on the numbers of downloads for episodes. So I hope you guys are enjoying that stuff. Also, yeah, the Starfield Lorecast, it's kind of still a thing that happens on occasion until we get more Starfield news. And um, the Game Pass podcast lasted a little while. It's not still going, unfortunately. But... Of course, I've got all these other lore casts. Go to go to robotsradio.net. You'll see a whole bunch of, of stuff that I do and other creators from the network. Awesome. All right. Well, let's move on. We've got some more stuff to talk about. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to our patrons and everyone who leaves reviews and ratings. I really do appreciate it. Let's go. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Did I just say let's go? I think I just said, let's go. That's one of those phrases that I think is going to just melt into obscurity. Like, oh, that was a 2020, early 2020 thing. Everyone was saying, let's go. It's eventually it's just going to disappear and everyone's going to be like, uh, did you just say, let's go? It's going to be like tubular or something like, oh my God, did you just say tubular? Did you just say hip? It's going to be one of those. Anyway, let's get back to the discussion about Repcon. So, in the first half, we talked about how Robco eventually purchased Repcon and their interest in the facility wasn't specifically for the rocket technology, although propulsion and rockets could make sense for a company like Robco, who makes automated machines, robots, things like that. The main focus was the plasma technology that Repcon was using to power their rockets. This is something that would solve a problem for weapons technology that the U.S. government was dealing with. At the time of the acquisition, the Winchester P-94 was the primary plasma rifle used by the United States government. And Robco working in connection with the U.S. government. And isn't this kind of what happens for all of these companies? After doing the show for three and a half years, it seems like every major company is also funded by the government, which leads you to think about how much control they actually had over the government and the interconnections of all of these things. But that's for another time. The Winchester P-94 had a problem. It wasn't a great weapon. And you'd think with a name like Winchester, it was probably pretty cool. But no, it it had some issues with specifically the quantum 
plasma modulation matter injection. That's the way these rifles worked. I guess they superheat something to plasma levels of energy. And of course, this is like there's different tiers of states of matter, right? There's solid, liquid, gas, and then plasma. So if you superheat something, it actually gets beyond gas into plasma. That's what that is. And so that's what they're using in these weapons in order to do damage. The exact explanation goes like this. Plasma rifles or plasma casters are high-tech weapons firing superheated bolts of plasma powered by either microfusion cells, heavy energy cells, plasma cartridges, or plasma cores, which find numerous applications in military and industrial fields. The bolts form into torrids in the plasma chamber, which are then sent down a superconducting barrel propelled by and in some models stabilized by electromagnetic claws upon exiting it. However, the plasma bolt chamber can be hot wired in order to accelerate the bolt formation process, effectively turbocharging the rifle. The primary damage mechanism of plasma rifles is thermal transfer, causing serious burns to soft targets and melting hard ones. In extreme cases, the plasma can cause spontaneous dissolution of the target including separation of soft tissues from hard ones or wholesale molecular destabilization that turns the target into a viscous green fluid. I almost said vicious green fluid. I'm going to leave that in there because that's hilarious. Um, so these things weren't super easy to use on the battlefield. They were too bulky. They were expensive. They required a lot of specialization and training. The United States Army was ready for a better weapon. So what was designed by Robco using the technology at Repcon is the Q35 matter modulator. This gun was a huge step up. It's actually a special weapon you can find in New Vegas. And it's the culmination of a lot of different technology and partners. The prototype was created by a team of engineers under staff senior engineer Zhang Duong, I think is how you pronounce the name. But the design was actually something stolen from Poseidon Energy. In Fallout New Vegas, there's a weapon called the Semel, S-E-M-E-L-E. This is an unfinished plasma rifle developed by Poseidon Energy. The specs for this weapon were actually taken, and this is a special weapon in the game that you can actually find as well. The specs for this weapon were taken and were used in modifying the design of the Q35. This is like a combination of Poseidon Energy design, Repcon technology, and Robco engineering. All of this comes together. The plasma engine itself is actually pulled from the Z53-521P rocket that Repcon was working on. Poseidon data allowed the Repcon team to rectify issues with matter inversion by using a polarized quantum spin. This Now we're getting into like quantum technology terms. Quantum particles are very, very, very small. And when you talk about the spin of a quantum particle, it doesn't actually mean that it's like rotating. It's actually just a word that describes a quality that some 
particles have and others don't. So for, for example, there's like up quarks and down quarks, things like that. I'm not going to get into the details. I don't fully understand it without looking it up for this episode, but it's, it's like, these are technology sounding things. These are sciencey words that basically mean magic, right? Like that's, that's where we're at with this. And the explanation doesn't end there. This includes also solving the issues with matter conversion in the Heisenberg compensation field, enabling the creation of the first prototype of a new line of plasma weapons. What we're getting here is basically magic engineering science words plus magic engineering science words plus magic engineering science words equals super awesome plasma gun. I mean, that's kind of the sum of all of this, right? And if you look this stuff up, it really doesn't go that much deeper than that. Most of the places that bring this stuff up just use the words. They don't explain like, what is a Heisenberg compensation field? And that phrase itself only shows up in one email. So that's it. That's all the information we get on what those actually mean. So maybe more importantly is what this gun actually does, how it actually works and why it's beneficial to the player. This plasma gun is different from the standard plasma gun that you find in a lot of different ways. First of all, it uses one microfusion cell per shot instead of two. The rate of fire is twice as fast. Plasma bolts have a much higher velocity. It degrades slower. 50% extra damage per second for the actual DPS calculation. It causes seven less damage per shot, but 15 more critical damage. It uses two less AP in VATS, so you can get more shots off, and it weighs one pound less than the standard variant, so it, it doesn't even take a, up as much inventory room in order to, to use. This weapon can't take any modifications, though, so it's not upgradable. But overall, it is a much better weapon than the standard plasma gun. So all of that makes sense with the concept for why it was designed. A lighter weapon works better for soldiers in the field. They can shoot faster. It uses less microfusion cells per shot and does more damage, especially critical damage. And when you're thinking about the design of something like a plasma rifle, critical damage seems like an important quality. The idea that this projectile, this superheated plasma projectile, would be able to pierce through flesh or melt through metal. It makes for a weapon that you could use against, say, power armored opponents or somebody inside an armored vehicle in order to blow through the armor of the vehicle. Now, this weapon can be found at the Repcon headquarters. It's up on the main floor. It's behind a very hard locked door. Or you can do the wall terminal. Both require a hundred lockpick skill or a hundred science to hack. So this is a very late weapon game. And uh, comically, the real world inspiration from this comes from cartoons. Remember the Looney Tunes? Remember the Warner Brothers cartoon Marvin the Martian? Well, in Marvin the Martian, there are references to a a weapon that he wants to use or uses. It goes by a few different names. Sometimes he calls it the Eludium Q36 Explosive Space Modulator. Sometimes he calls it the PU36 Space Modulator. And other times he's referred to it as the Uranium Q36 Explosive Space Modulator. 
Either way, it's a something 36 space modulator. That's part of the inspiration for the name of this gun, which I think is hilarious. Now, the gun was still an early version. It never saw use in major battles or anything like that. But to kind of wrap up the episode here, what we end up with is the history of a location that was run into the ground through the bad decisions of a leader who probably profited in being able to sell the company off to another major corporation. So we've got another capitalist story about how things are unfair to the workers and more you know, beneficial to the leaders, even when they're bad leaders. And then on top of that, it turns into weapons. <laughs> this, this goes from being a location that was about exploring space, creating rockets to you know, get to other worlds and doing these kinds of noble endeavors to becoming technology for killing each other. And oftentimes I get comments from people. This happens not a, a ton, but on occasion about people saying things like, man, I'd like your show, but I wish it wasn't so political. These details are inherent in the story. Just look at this story. We have warnings about the excesses of capitalism, warnings about putting war before actual benefits to humanity. All of that is built into the game. It's inherent. And this is one of those stories. And you don't necessarily notice it when you're focusing on the Bright Brotherhood and maybe helping them get off to space and dealing with the crazy super mutants in the basement. But underneath it all, every one of these locations has some sort of warning for where we are with our society today and how much we focus on things. And I have a feeling most of our listeners are not the self-absorbed CEOs of companies. So maybe these warnings are not going to the right ears, but it's just something to think about. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you guys being here next week. We've got our patron episode, so we'll be, we'll be knocking that out. And then the week after that, I have a surprise. I can't reveal it yet, but a very special surprise from you guys. I'm looking forward to that. See you guys next time. Stay safe out there. plug into everything else we're doing check out robotsradio.net reach out to me on twitter at robots underscore radio check out the robots radio rocket club where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast starting a new podcast or helping your current podcast grow there's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well and you can always talk with us and the entire community over 2,000 people on the robots radio discord Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.